30 liter limit. There will be temporary shortages, but we are taking this important step to maintain our supply of gasoline. BC takes extraordinary steps to conserve fuel and save essential routes for essential vehicles. The race to save the Sumas Prairie. Things may change in the next six hours. We may have to deploy forces in other areas. Why Abbotsford is changing course in its fight against flooding. And the cost of catastrophe. We do know that this will be a very significant and costly flood event. How BC's natural disaster could be Canada's most expensive. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin with breaking news from the province. The government is moving to conserve precious fuel supplies, and that means the next time you go to fill up, there will be a limit at the pump. John Hua is live with more on this, and it's effective immediately, John. Yes, that's right, Sophie. It will take a little bit of time for the systems to get in place, but that will happen very soon. And word has likely gotten out because if you take a look at the lineups for gas here at the Costco and Pork Aquitlam, you can see that it snakes all the way throughout the parking lot and at times even onto the street. Now, experts have said that the trigger point for a gas shortage was if the Trans Mountain Pipeline remained shut down past this Sunday. With that being the case, the province is now taking action to make sure there is no panic buying at the pumps. We already saw the panic at the pumps on Vancouver Island. Now the province is using its power to put a kink in the hose at your local gas station to stop greedy fuel hoarders. People in southwestern British Columbia, Vancouver Island and the Sunshine Coast will be limited to 30 litres Per visit. While added supply is coming from Alberta, Washington State, Oregon, and even California, it will be up to gas stations to ensure their fuel reserves last until December 1st. We're asking people to use public transit in impacted regions whenever possible. Carpool. Share with a friend. Walk. The order will be in place for at least the next 10 to 12 days. Priority access and a pass on fill-up limits will be given to essential and emergency vehicles. Emergency and essential vehicles will have unrestricted access to gas as required, using predominantly commercial card lock stations. The hope was a precautionary shutdown of the Trans Mountain Pipeline would only last days. But if it's not up though by Sunday and running uh, at full production, uh, one would have to expect that there are going to be shortages. In a statement, Trans Mountain writes, if all planning and work continues to progress and no further issues with the pipeline are assessed, Trans Mountain is optimistic that we can restart the pipeline in some capacity by the end of next week. If you don't have to be on the road, don't travel. If you only need a quarter tank, leave the rest for the person behind you. The province is hoping retailers can limit gas purchases directly through their point-of-sale systems. A leap of faith that people won't try to pull a fast one just to get extra fuel. This is not about enforcement. You can't have a police officer at every gas station. What, what you can have are good, hardworking people of this province doing the right thing. Now, on top of doing the right thing, Minister Mike Farnworth is asking drivers to give themselves more time when they fill up and to be patient with gas station staff because more or less, more gas, sorry, 
less gas likely means more trips. And as you can see, that also means longer lines. Sophie? People already heading out to get as much gas as they can, I suppose. All right. Thanks for that, John. Natawa Managahi, who's live in Maple Ridge with more on the travel restrictions the province has put in place and why they've done that. Imad. Now, Sophie, some of the most important things to consider are these emergency orders are temporary and we're told they're very, very important to clearing what the province is calling big backlogs of people just stranded away from home and essential goods that have been idle since this flooding started on Monday. So from now on, it will be essential travel only on key sections of what is now uh, the only route connecting us to the rest of the province and essentially the rest of the country. So again, to explain, uh, this applies to severely affected uh, highway routes, uh, hardest hitting sections of the 7, the whole Princeton Highway, and when it comes open this weekend, the 99. Uh, highway 7 between Agassiz and Hope, this is the critical area. Then Highway 3 all the way to and from the interior. And this is what the government considers essential. People going back to their primary residence, a commercial transport of goods, moving essential supplies like food and water and medical supplies, uh, transport of animals and agriculture supplies. Now anything else including recreational travel is strongly advised against and really essentially banned until December 1st. Here's the minister. We will be releasing the details on enforcement in short order. But my hope is that everyone understands the needs for these restrictions and fully cooperates. In other words, if you don't need to be traveling right now, don't. Stay home. And if you can't do that, carpool or take, uh, take public transit or work from home. Now, further to that enforcement, the government has mentioned uh, that there will be police highway patrols, uh, potentially check stops at choke points on those critical highway routes, and it hasn't uh, left out the option of a $2,000 fine. But at the end of the day, they're hoping everyone does the right thing and just stays off the road if they don't need to be on those highway routes for the next 10 to 11 days until we're in a better situation. And hopefully they do. All right. Thanks for that, Imad. Well, heavy equipment has begun the mammoth task of repairing a dike along the Sumas River in Abbotsford. The city abruptly cancelled a plan to build a new levee today, opting instead to immediately focus on rebuilding the dike, protecting the Sumas Prairie. Romina Dea joins us live now with the change in plans and why it's led to a lot of confusion there. Romina. Sophie, a lot of stress for 22 property owners who thought they were basically getting kicked out in order to get this levy built. But that levy option is now off the table. Water levels have dropped. There's been a break in the weather. So the crucial focus now is to repair the dike. Ground zero. This is where the Sumas River dike blew apart due to heavy flooding. The gap, 100 meters long. The break causing water to flow south over Highway 1, affecting hundreds of properties and farmland. A chunk of the freeway still underwater. Time is crucial. Crews only have a few days. Heavy rain is expected Tuesday. I have instructed our city manager that I want to see that dike closed before the next rain event. Dump trucks full of rock lined up to repair the broken dike. But there's only room for one at a time. It's a slow process. Right here is where it blew. So my family was on the dike when it did blow and uh, they started walking back to the farm. 
pretty much it just started going out and started running into our fields. So. 22 properties would have been sacrificed to build the levy announced Thursday. A lot of confusion and anxiety over 24 hours. As a result, property owners were on the move, packing up uncertain of the future. So they're going to build this levy uh, near here to like stop the water so that they can fix the dam. But I guess they decided not to do that. So I don't know what the game plan is now. Very unclear. We don't know what's going on. We're just uh, acting like it's still going to be there, though, so we're still gutting it out and stuff and just hoping it'll be there, but we don't know. No answers, no. Just um, Jake's construction saying that most likely our property won't be flooded. Now, Sophie, I spoke to some of those property owners a short time ago who are extremely relieved tonight to hear that the levy plan is not happening. As far as the military goes, there are 64 soldiers on the ground. Over the coming days, they are going to be inspecting the rest of the dike, looking for weaknesses. Back to you. All right, thanks for that. Ramina Dea in Abbotsford. Well, the entire town of Merritt remains evacuated tonight and frustration is growing. As Paul Johnson reports, some of the evacuees who've been out of their homes since Monday say government help has been slow in coming. Evacuated and only in the earliest stages of normalization. The city of Merritt Friday announced that inspectors are on their way to start assessing homes tagging them with colors corresponding to their condition. Work is also underway to restore drinking water and restart the sewage system. The loss of those two pieces of infrastructure being the trigger for the evacuation of the many homes that weren't flooded. And foremost, we're looking at trying to bring our citizens back to merit. Uh, but to do that, it has to be safe for them to be here. That's what you do when you procrastinate. For now, hotels like this Best Western in Camp are home for the Merritt evacuees. Many have told us they're grateful for the emergency relief that's been made available. Others say it's been confusing and inadequate. People have been sleeping in their cars because they're not getting papers and stuff. Like, it's pretty heart-wrenching to tell you the truth. James Galpin and Pat Neville had their home flooded, so the time frame of their return is a total unknown. That anxiety compounded by uncertainties with the paperwork connected to their relief. Our concern right now is that our accommodation is only being covered from last night. And we don't know how we're going to cover the uh, from Monday till then. While Victoria insisted Friday that everyone will eventually be taken care of, the unknowns are profound and immediate. Rodney Hunt can't work right now because he can't access his tools in his flooded home. And he knows he's facing some huge bills. So what are you supposed to do? Now you're getting a flood insurance. We're in a floodplain, apparently. Insurances can't help you. One of those okay. who is helping is Beryl Atani, running the reception center for evacuees in Kelowna, where she's shared the disbelief at all that's happened to British Columbians in the last couple of years. Well, we've had fires and we've had floods. What's next? And I said, locusts. Paul Johnson, Global News. The reopening of Highway 3 to essential travel has those in flood-stricken Princeton fearing they will have to deal with unprecedented traffic. Residents of Princeton are still slowly cleaning up. The mayor says the town's sewer system is stabilizing and its water reservoir is now 20% full. 
Now the community is bracing for a volume of traffic through their town that it has never seen before. That has the mayor asking the province for resources, including flaggers for problem intersections. Have the emergency services restored to the point where we have enough capacity to be able to help those people. Right now we're looking at the possibility of having to air vac people out if we can't get ambulances in. The mayor is also pleading with any essential travellers on Highway 3 heading to Vancouver to gas up ahead of time, have food and water and drive slowly. Now, among the communities cut off by flooding is a small First Nation reserve near Merritt. Nitu Garcha has more, including the story of one woman who's been separated from her family. The first thing that um, came to my mind, I wasn't going to see the rest of my family. And I thought, when will I ever see them again? Noaich First Nation member Kowenko Michelle is separated from her family. Her loved ones are stranded in the southern interior community, which she managed to escape just in time. I left the community to go into town to gather a few things. And, um, and I, I made a quick trip into Merrick, which is 15 miles away. When I got down to the turnoff where our bridge goes into our community, it already had fallen in. Uh, a few minutes just before I got there. Both bridges gone, leaving about 130 people, almost a third of them children, landlocked on the reserve without power. There's extensive damage to Highway 8 and the community has reported at least four homes destroyed in the floods. It's 10.46 a.m. Just showing you how high the river is. On Monday morning, Michelle knew her community was in trouble and recorded this video to warn others. Water's moving pretty fast too. So just sending and letting people know. But the water moved faster than anyone thought. And by the time chief and council issued an evacuation order a few hours later, both bridges were destroyed. All those were accesses for us to get into and all of them have collapsed. There have been some emergency helicopter evacuations this week for those who lost their homes or need medical attention. And as crews work to fully restore this bridge, both temperatures and food supplies are going down. Luckily, water levels are too. You know, I'm, I can't wait to go home and hug my family. Nitu Garcha, Global News. And the province has set up a new donation portal for those affected by the extreme weather. BC Agriculture Minister Lana Popham says anyone looking to donate funds or supplies to evacuees can contact donations at gov.bc.ca. People are also asked to contact the Canadian Red Cross at wecare at redcross.ca or call 1-800-418-1111. Well, some dairy farmers in the interior are being forced to dump their milk due to the floods and landslides. With the indefinite closure of the Coquihalla Highway and flooding in Abbotsford, raw milk from the interior, which would typically be processed on the lower mainland, can no longer be delivered. Those farmers have been told until further notice all of their milk will have to be dumped. The current situation has some saying interior farmers need to be able to process their own raw milk in the region. It does actually show that uh, our, the whole infrastructure of this province actually needs to be looked at. Well, ideally, we'd like to see processing in the interior of British Columbia uh, because all the milk from, or the majority of the milk from this province all has to go to the lower mainland for processing.
John Shute says he's managed to reroute the milk from his farm that was originally destined for the Lower Mainland to Alberta. Well, despite pleas not to panic buy, there is growing evidence of a run on basic materials on Vancouver Island, particularly at the largest stores. But as Kylie Stanton reports, if you find yourself staring at bare shelves, there are alternatives. Filling the carts, clearing the shelves. This is happening in grocery stores up and down Vancouver Island, from Victoria and Duncan to Campbell River. There was instant panic. And you could just, you could just see it. You could feel it when you walked into the building. Produce, meat and dairy all in high demand. But now in some cases, very low supply. Forcing management to put a cap on purchases. Looks like a lot of really frantic people went in there and bought a whole bunch of stuff in case doomsday came. I don't know what the panic is though. What is the panic? Shortly after the BC Transportation Network was crippled by mass flooding, there was fear the supply chain would be next. But officials have repeatedly said food disruptions would be minor. As for Vancouver Island, the link to the Lower Mainland is still very much intact. And anything coming from east of the flooding can be rerouted through the U.S. There will 100% be hiccups. Plus their borders and what have you, this will take longer and ergo patience is useful. Please do not hoard items. What you need, your neighbours need as well. It seems it's the larger chains, the Walmarts, the superstores that are hardest hit, but smaller island grocers that source the product locally say that's paying off now more than ever. We do have island beef, we have island pork. Country Grocer is having no problem keeping products stocked, and with almost everything coming from nearby, that's not expected to change. After something like this happening, it just speaks to the need to stay local, be local, think local, and we're, we're happy to be a part of that. Still, every cart unnecessarily filled only further deteriorates the situation that at this point is preventable. There's no sense in panicking. We are creating our own chaos. Kylie Stanton, Global News. A man who survived the Duffy Lake slide is sharing his story. We just got hit and all of us found ourselves upside down um, in the mud. The terrifying moments when he heard the earth give way and how he'll always remember the kindness of strangers. That's next on the News Hour. <laughs> Celebrations on the Lower Mainland and half a world away as India announces it will repeal controversial farming laws. What prompted the surprise announcement later? At that point, it was a much more manageable, manageable situation. Plus, what had this ER doctor breathing a sigh of relief when disaster struck the province and threatened to overwhelm the hospital in hope? That's still to come. Right now, though, a Metro Vancouver man who escaped the deadly mudslide near Lillooet says he is grateful for the kindness of strangers. Noah Morse and his brother-in-law were caught in a massive slide, flipping their vehicle off the highway and into the trees. As Kristen Robinson reports, Morse is back home tonight and thankful to those who helped him. It's not, it doesn't feel right yet to even touch any of it. Noah Morse is still trying to process the ordeal that left his boots and vest caked in mud. I just, I heard it. I heard, I heard the mountain. Um, it was just a, a roar and you could feel it. He and his brother-in-law had stopped at a slide on Duffy Lake Road Monday when they heard the earth move again. It's a sound 
I can't really describe. It's something that I'll never forget. It's, it'll be in me forever. The Jeep the pair was in flipped, landing upside down near some trees. Opened our eyes uh, and we realized we were alive. My first thought was my son, um, 10 month old son. Survival mode kicked in. So I was just, you know, I'm getting out here. I don't know. It's just this thing in your head that you're like, this isn't taking me. I'm go. I gotta. I gotta go. We think the the car moved a little bit still, and that's when I saw a daybreak daylight come through my side. Somehow they managed to crawl out and reach the road, where they saw two women also caught between both slides. They were looking for a loved one that was not there anymore. Even during panic, the women grabbed jackets for Morse and his brother-in-law, while an off-duty firefighter got a rope to rescue Morse. Uh, I can still see the faces of people as they're walking through the cars uh, while I was in the car warming up and just looking up at the mountain. And you could see the fear of just, you know, is it going to happen again? Not knowing what else might hit them, a band of strangers went to work. These are Kathy's husband's clothes that she wrapped me up in. And Hunters clothed and helped his brother-in-law. Both made it back to Pemberton with a renewed faith in humanity that they were able to escape this. Just kind of affirmation of the impossible. Who's that? Where's mom? <laughs> now safe at home with his wife and baby, Morse's thoughts are with the families of those who didn't make it out. Kristen Robinson, Global News. So Coming up, the financial toll of the flooding disaster. There is a significant economic impact of this that grows bigger every day these routes are out. The staggering costs, they're still adding up. Plus, the connection between deforestation and flooding. Why some say BC's logging practices are partly to blame. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Patello Bridge, which is some minor delays southbound down McBride through the Queen's Park stretch on the approach. Planning a trip with BCAA Travel Insurance, you get free COVID-19 medical coverage and worldwide virtual care from BC's top choice. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Patello Bridge. It'll be weeks before we see preliminary cost estimates, but it's very possible this week's flooding could be a record breaker. As Aaron MacArthur reports, weather disasters are increasing in frequency and severity, and they're becoming much more expensive. Highway bridges replaced. Sections of rail lines relayed. Entire communities rebuilt. The cost of flooding will be unprecedented in B.C. Some are predicting this could be Canada's most expensive natural disaster. There is a, a significant economic impact of this um, that, that grows bigger every day these routes are out. Right now, Canada's most expensive natural disaster was in Fort McMurray. Wildfires resulted in $3.7 billion worth of insurance claims, but the true cost likely three times that much. Flooding in southern Alberta saw $1.7 billion in insurance claims, but the true cost likely double. In 1998, ice storms in Quebec and Ontario cost the insurance industry $1.3 billion. So far, 2021 shaping up to be the most expensive year on record. Before this flood event occurred in B.C., we still experienced over $1.3 billion in claims from severe weather 
just this year so far. The loss from flooding here goes well beyond critical infrastructure. The port of Vancouver essentially cut off from the rest of the country. An estimated 250 to $500 million worth of goods every day travels through this port. Costs that aren't captured in traditional disaster models. The uh, intensity and uh, frequency of these type of uh, extreme events is going to increase over time. So we need to be better prepared. BC's Premier says the province has the fiscal capacity to build back. The question is whether the province can build back infrastructure with more resiliency. It may be a hard sell for taxpayers, but experts say spending the money now, orders of magnitude cheaper than trying to fix what's already broken. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. While the amount of rain that fell on parts of B.C. last weekend shattered records, critics say the damage was only made worse by our province's logging practices. Paul Johnson now with the possible lessons the province can learn from this natural disaster. Of all the different disaster zones in B.C., it's the flooding of merit that may be the first to result in fingers pointed at forest management as a possible and contributing cause. Take a look at this time-lapse of satellite imagery of the Merritt area from 1984 to the present day, where you can clearly see the changes in the landscape from clear-cut logging above and around Merritt. Did this intensify the flooding there? While it's hard to link all of these events directly to um, logging operations, we are experiencing what I believe is a cumulative effect. Taryn Scalbania is with the Peachland Watershed Protection Alliance, she says clear-cut logging in the forests above her community has heightened the risk of flooding. And it's long overdue for Victoria to recognize the link she says exists between logging and floods. I think the most um, important thing our government could do right now is be a little more a precautionary. It's not the first time British Columbians have pointed to clear-cuts as an amplifying force in floods. After the 2018 disaster in Grand Forks, some residents there claimed that over-harvesting in the forests there made the situation much worse. Since then, they've doubled down in their accusations with a lawsuit filed against the government and logging companies that were active there. You notice the areas that are flooded are also the areas severely logged for um, mountain pine beetle and severely salvage logged after wildfires. The Ministry of Forests told Global News this week that logging can contribute to floods, which is why they use a science-based reforestation approach to reduce the risk. Well, it's still far too soon to have a definitive explanation of the situation in Merritt, you can expect many will find the juxtaposition of these two images highly persuasive. Paul Johnson, Global News. Still to come, a year-long protest pays off. How worldwide pressure forced India to back off on contentious farming laws. Plus, it's official. Pfizer for kids aged 5 to 11. How soon the shots will be in B.C. Watch the Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series every Saturday and Sunday in partnership with Fortis B.C. That's energy at work. 
Good evening. Counterflow is out at the Massey Tunnel, two lanes north and south. This is actually northbound traffic at the north end of the tunnel trying to take that Steveston Highway exit where there's a giant lineup at the gas station. Planning a trip with BCAA Travel Insurance, you get free COVID-19 medical coverage and worldwide virtual care from BC's top choice. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Supporters in B.C. of farmers in India are still celebrating the surprise announcement by the Indian government that it will repeal controversial farming laws that sparked protests around the world. But as Nithu Gautra reports, they are only cautiously optimistic that the government will follow through. No farmers! No food! No farmers! No food! In B.C., the chants continue in support of protesting farmers in India after that country's prime minister announced the three farm laws in question are being repealed. Disbelief and just really proud of, of our community. Peaceful protest was the one which got India's its independence. I feel lucky to witness this kind of a movement in, in my age where 25 million people were on the street. Many are calling the Indian government's commitment to back down on agricultural reforms a hard-fought victory for farmers and their future, sparking celebrations around the world. Like this one in Surrey, with hundreds of people dancing, singing, and honking their horns. At Scott Road and 72nd, the intersection where a small group of dedicated supporters of the movement have gathered every night since last December, including Mandeep Karad. As we got flooded with all these people celebrating, you know, we stepped back as a collective and said, I'm not sure that I'm ready to celebrate because the work isn't done, right? The repeal is just the start of that. When you look at Punjab as a breadbasket of the world, that is critical space. And for it to be in such disarray with lack of water and the use of pesticides and the, and the amount of debt that farmers are accumulating and the, just the suicide rate. Protests, these farmers have died protesting. Uh, activists were assaulted and arrested. Journalists faced crackdowns, assault and arrest. It's believed upcoming elections in India may have motivated the move that also came on the birth anniversary of Guru Nanak, the founder of Sikhism, the faith of many of the protesting farmers who, like their supporters here in B.C., are staying put in their more than year-long protest until the government's promise becomes parliamentary action. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Surrey. To COVID-19 and the latest numbers for B.C., we have 497 new cases, 3,429 active cases, 358 people are in hospital with 109 of those patients in the ICU. There have been three more deaths from complications of COVID-19. Well, now that the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine for Canadian children aged 5 to 11 has the green has the green light. B.C. Health Minister Adrian Dix says the rollout will start quickly. Richard Zussman has the details on what we know so far. It has been tested and analyzed. Now, Health Canada deeming the Pfizer vaccine safe for kids 5 to 11 years old. Parents can be reassured that so far, the vaccines have no safety signals and that they're efficacious. The clinical trials have shown that it's 90.7% of vaccine uh, efficacy. More than 360,000 British Columbian kids now eligible to receive a COVID-19 shot. Shipments will start arriving in BC middle of next week with appointments starting soon after. Doses go out uh, the beginning around 
the week of the November the 29th uh, as it's distributed around the province. The Pfizer dose approved for kids is about a third the dosage than the one approved for those 12 and older. BC health officials encouraging parents to get registered. It takes uh, a couple of minutes to get registered and then we'll be able to send you um, an invitation to book when uh, it's your child's turn. There has been some natural reluctance from parents. A survey done by the public health agency found half of families want the shot now, a quarter want more information and a quarter don't want to provide the shot for their kids. It is normal for parents to have questions and that we need to be able to answer them in order to uh, facilitate the decision to get their kids vaccinated. British Columbia will be using community clinics to administer the shot, but Dr. Brian Conway says the province should be thinking more broadly. This needs to be easy. This needs to be in places where they are used to going, where they are comfortable going, in their family doctor's office, going into the schools, having a vaccination day in a school with experts around to answer the questions. The crippling of the province's roadway system may cause some delays for delivery, but they would only be a few days late rather than weeks. We're going to make sure the vaccine gets out and around the province, and it affects different areas differently. The province's full vaccination plan for those 5 to 11 will be presented Tuesday in the weekly COVID-19 briefing. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The call out for healthcare professionals. I was the only ER doctor in town. BC's mudslide emergency threatened to overwhelm Hope's tiny hospital. The unexpected help that brought relief. And later, a look back at the unbelievable week that has changed our province. Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series, an engaging interview series featuring inspiring BC leaders Saturdays on Global and Sundays on BC One throughout November. In partnership with Fortis BC, that's energy at work. All right, let's bring in Christy Gordon now with a look at our forecast and more wild weather coming for the northern part of our province. Christy. Yes, thankfully not across the south. We're really just days away after being devastated there. And now we're turning our attention to yet another atmospheric river, but for the north coast inland sections. Let me show you the regions that are most likely going to be impacted. It's the inland sections of the north coast. So that's near Stewart in particular. Widespread flooding is possible. Tonight and tomorrow, they're expecting 25 centimeters of snow. And there's already significant snow on the ground. Then Sunday and Monday, an atmospheric river pushes in. Heavy rain and rising freezing levels. So we're talking about copious amounts of water falling from the sky and then significant snow melt. So those are the areas you can see I've circled them that we're mostly concerned about. Coastal regions highlighted in yellow, also significant rain, but they won't have the snow on the ground like those areas near Stewart does. Inland sections, also snowfall warnings. So up to 20 centimeters for the central parts, uh, including Prince George, and 30 centimeters through the weekend for areas like uh, Fort St. John. There is also a high stream flow advisory that has been issued by the BC River Forecast Centre. That is for coastal regions because of significant rainfall expected there. Here's a look at that system driving in. Now, the good news, it's going to mostly miss the south coast until Monday. So we've got two mostly dry days on the way, and then Monday that cold front swings through, and that's when we're expecting periods of rain and windy conditions for the south coast. So the, over the weekend, we've got continued dry weather. Great news there, as we will see a few light showers across the Vancouver, Fraser Valley region, but that's about it for our Saturday. Sunday also looking dry, and then Monday 
Monday that next system drives in. Sophie, I'm going to leave you with our central windows weather window. Uh, last night, there was actually a partial, partial lunar eclipse. It was the longest one since 1440. And uh, Hayden Scott, of course, did a little photoshopping here, but he did some great capturing of, of the partial lunar eclipse for those of you that missed it, as did I. <laughs> since 1440. Wow. Yes, very long time. All right. Thanks for that, Christy. Well, the town of Hope became the epicenter of the storm earlier this week, filled with travelers stranded by washed out highways and people injured in nearby landslides. The influx threatened to overwhelm the tiny hospital and its lone emergency doctor. But as Kamal Karmali uh, tells us, help came from an unexpected source. Multiple mudslides trapping hundreds of drivers overnight. For most, hunger and thirst was the biggest concern, but others suffered serious injuries. Here at the tiny hospital in Hope, it was a typical Sunday. Staff at Fraser Canyon Hospital had no idea what was heading their way. Uh, that was probably the most stressful shift of my career. Dr. Stefan Petrascu was the only doctor alongside four nurses when word came in about the disaster down the road. We did get some very uh, seriously injured victims. Patient after patient brought in by search and rescue teams, overwhelming the 10-bed facility. The patients included a 14-year-old caught in the slide. Having, you know, a very young patient that was critically injured and not being able to transfer them out by land or by air for like more than 24 hours was extremely stressful. The weather prevented outside help from arriving to the hospital for more than 12 hours. Dr. Asim Grover from Abbotsford and another physician managed to take a back road and then ride the rails to get to the hospital. Because it was too dangerous to fly in, the wind speeds was about 90 kilometers an hour. But the staff were exhausted. You can only have people working for a certain amount of hours in a day and then they need relief also, right? So they put out a call to those stranded in town looking for healthcare professionals and they responded. It is beautiful to see how the community came together uh, to support one another. The staffing at the hospital nearly tripled, including five additional doctors, people who couldn't get out of hope, providing some hope of their own. And so at that point, it was a much more manageable, manageable situation where we could get a rest for a few hours at a time. But their work isn't done. The extra staff left when the roads opened, but there are still a lot of local patients to be cared for. And the staff at Fraser Canyon wonder what the next storm will bring. Kamal Kermali, Global News. Great to see people stepping up. All right, Squire has stepped up or sat down. I've done both, actually. I stepped up, <laughs> then I sat down. Um, it's no secret Elias Pettersson has not stepped up like his old self so far this season, but he says he can only worry about what's ahead of him. But I mean, it is what it is. I can't think too much what I've done so far this season. I'm just going to try to play my best hockey tonight. And tonight, Elias Pettersson and the Canucks will be hosting Winnipeg at Rogers Arena. And later, BC's unprecedented week in pictures. Mind if I sit at your table? Oh, be my guest. Thank nice you very to have much. company. Yeah, well, nice to be here. Um, okay, the uh, Canucks are hosting Winnipeg tonight, looking to end the uh, five-game losing streak. And the what's wrong with Elias Pettersson questions we're hearing right now are not new. You might remember last season, 
He had only two points in his first eight games, and the same questions were being asked. The difference is, this season we are 17 games in, and he still hasn't gotten his groove back. The numbers tell a terrible tale for the Canucks. Five straight losses, third worst record in the Western Conference, and of course that 32nd ranked penalty kill that has been going at a 47.6% success rate the last nine games, which is quite unbelievable. And of course the struggles of Elias Pettersson, just three goals in 17 games, and the young Swede admits the pressure has gotten to him. Yeah, maybe I put too much pressure on me, but that's who I am, that's the way I compete, that's all the way I, I live as a hockey player. I want, to, I want to be the best player I can be every game. The pressure to produce has never been greater for Pedersen, who has never had a dry spell quite like this in his three-plus NHL seasons. Grinding about it 24-7, though, won't help his cause. So he's trying to keep it light off the ice, hoping that can help turn his fortunes around. Trying to have fun off the ice, uh, hang with friends. Um, it's easy to, when it's going a little slow on, uh, on the ice, that you tend to, or I can tend to overthink and like think about it all day, every day. The Jets were the last team Pedersen played against last season before being shut down with a wrist injury. He insists the wrist is just fine, despite the fact he's taken just four shots on goal the past five games. Uh, the wrist isn't, isn't bugging me at all. I don't feel any pain, anything to hold me back there. I just, I mean, guys are playing me well. They are defending me well, so I just got to find new ways to be successful. 2 o'clock tomorrow, Whitecaps' first-round playoff game against Sporting Kansas City. This game actually could be more wide open than a playoff game usually is, and if it is, that's okay with the Whitecaps. Like I've said many times, we're capable of scoring against every team in the league, and we've shown that. So um, We've even shown that you know, in games that we go behind, like against a good side like, like uh, Portland, where we were 2-0 down at halftime, we managed to come back and get three in the second half. So... Um, I think no matter who we're up against, we know that even if we go a goal down, hopefully we won't, but even if we go, we go a goal down, we're more than capable of getting two. BC Lions are ending their regular season tonight against Edmonton. Both of these teams are out of the playoffs. Nathan Rourke, number 12, will be starting for the Lions tonight with Michael Riley as the backup. Bad news for the Seahawks. Running back Chris Carson is going to have season-ending surgery for a neck issue that just would not go away. We went as long as we could, and, and he worked as hard as he could at it. And uh, this is just, after just not being able to get it to happen and turn around, this is the best choice we got. And so um, and we'll look forward to him you know, getting all that taken care of and, then, and be ready for a big year next year. Nobody in tennis has seen or heard from Peng Shui for over two weeks. She disappeared after accusing a retired Chinese Communist Party vice premier of sexual assault. Women's Tennis Association boss Steve Simon has called on the Chinese government to prove she is safe and investigate her allegations fairly, or the WTA will consider ending all business deals and tournaments in China, despite it possibly costing the WTA millions of dollars. As I've said, we are prepared to move on and deal with the challenges that will come with that, and they will be significant. Um, but um, we are steadfast in, in that approach, and I, I don't see that changing. We're concerned with Peng Shui's safety and that um, the full investigation needs to be happen, happen and that this cannot be swept under the rug. 
good for the WTA. Yes. All right, thanks, Squire. You're welcome. Up next, a look back at a week we will never forget. We're doing things a little differently for a Friday because it has been a kind of a crazy week. So we'll do satellite debris next Friday, Squire. You'll have a lot saved up. Uh, we'll give uh, Christy a word on the weather. Sure. So we are expecting a few light showers tomorrow, but overall dry for the next couple of days until Monday. So that's some good news for areas down here in the south. All right. Thanks, guys. Well, this has been an extraordinary week of devastation and heartbreak, and it's not over yet. The flood threat's still very real and the damage overwhelming. But British Columbians have shown incredible heart and generosity and resilience that will be crucial going forward. We leave you tonight with images of this unprecedented time and that fitting motto, be kind, be calm and be safe. Good night. truck was moving all over, getting hammered by trees. All the cars that were on the road and all the people, they were just gone. We know his wife is deceased. She was found in, the, in his truck and he was not. <laughs> A number of animals, the farmers struggling, and it speaks to the strength and character of our farming community. You can't take 36,000 chickens out, so yeah, they stayed behind. As a soldier and a member of the Armed Forces, uh, it's one of the most proudest things you can do. The washout on the Coquihalla, it may well be, uh, you know, several weeks or months. Oh, he's carrying a baby.